A few years ago, uh, it was around the, well, June, uh, graduation time, and I got to attend an eighth grade graduation where some of my kids from my church were graduating at La Sierra Academy at the church. And I remember going, I don't remember much about that eighth grade graduation except the class president's speech. Nothing like being an eighth grade class president, right? And to have your moment in the, the sun. And he gets up there. Uh, pretty big class. So the, the La Sierra University Church is pretty full of parents, and he stands at the center there, and he begins his speech with arms up and one word, freedom, <laughs> to which every adult in the room politely chuckled a little bit because they couldn't help but thinking, yes, yes, graduating from eighth grade is freedom, being liberated from the shackles of six-hour days <laughs> where you study you know, eighth grade geography and have recess and lunch breaks. Um, and, and yes, they remembered back, freedom is entering high school because things are so easy there. No relational drama, no, no worries about what people are thinking about you or what you look like. I mean, freedom for sure in high school. And then just wait till you hit adult world. I mean, that's, that's freedom, right? Yeah, indeed. But of course, for this eighth grade class president and his classmates, there was something about having conquered eight years of elementary school and being released from the halls of that school into a brave new world that was exhilarating, the rush of freedom. You know the rush, right? It's the same rush we get all the time with things like, uh, you know, the the car commercials, the SUV commercials where someone is, is driving off across like a frozen tundra or up onto a mountaintop and, and it's free and our, our blood boils and, and heart quickens. It's, it's like um, every whale movie. Becky and I just saw the latest one, Big Miracle. And spoiler alert, at the end, the whales go free, most of them. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know that moment when they go through the ice and the whales are jumping free in the open water, there's something that does some, you know, something to our human spirit about the rush of, of freedom. Of course, Fourth of July that great moment where we celebrate American independence and, and freedom. We, uh, we camp out all day reserving our spots so we can see a good hour-long fireworks show. <laughs> and I always wondered, what would happen if they all went off at once? So you've got to see that, 15 seconds of insanity. But it's still the rush of freedom and independence. My country, tis of thee. Sweet land of liberty, right? American freedom is... Uh, I, I can do pretty much anything I want to do, right, with, with freedom. I'm free to handle my own money however I want to handle it. Um, I'm, I'm free to choose any of the 123 brands of cereal on the cereal aisle, American freedom. And when you go to the gas station, you know you're angry when there's only three brands of cereal. This is America. How can this, how can this happen? I'm free to believe whatever I want to believe, to join whatever religion I'd like to be a part of freedom. Usually what we mean, right, when we get, get worked up and excited about freedom is something like the absence of coercion, right? We're not being coerced to do anything. Or the absence maybe of limitations. The sky is the limit. You can be anything you want to be. Just try out on American Idol. So pretty much having the space to do whatever, be whatever, think whatever our hearts desire at any given moment, right? Freedom, the joy of freedom. 
It's an interesting view of freedom, right? And it gets even more interesting when we begin to talk about freedom in terms of Christian freedom, right? Actually, a huge theme through the gospel, freedom, through the Bible. Uh, At the heart of the Jewish scriptures is the story of what? The Exodus, right? I mean, this is the heart of the story of the Old Testament. God's mighty acts to liberate an enslaved people from Pharaoh, to make them free. God frees them from being just brick makers who only matter when they can make bricks, to be friends of God and friends of their neighbors, to live with one another in a community of, uh, of justice and peace, freedom for these people. Then, of course, we move to the New Testament, the story of Jesus. It's the new exodus, right? Jesus comes, and he, he says in, in his sermons and in his actions that he's come to, to liberate the oppressed, to let the captives go free. In, uh, in John's gospel, Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, then you are really free, right? Freedom is at the heart of this Christian gospel story. Well, freedom from what, right? If we look at the story of Jesus, we see all kinds of things. There's freedom from disease, freedom from demonic oppression, freedom from exclusion, discrimination, freedom from fear, freedom, of course, from sin, freedom from all kinds of things that diminish the abundant life God has created humans for. Then we move on, and Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, begins to reflect on this story of Jesus and what has happened, and he too centers on the idea of freedom. In his letters to the young Christian churches, he talks a lot about freedom. And he particularly emphasizes one thing that becomes rather surprising at first, I think, for good religious people. Paul is talking about freedom from what? From sin and from the law. Freedom from religious rules and such. Paul emphasizes this very heavily and. uh Oftentimes, when Paul gets worked up in writing his letters, it's because he's found and heard through the grapevine that these young Christians that he has discipled and worked with and and brought up in the faith are actually forsaking their freedom and going backwards. So he writes especially. Here's one of the the letters where Paul gets worked up the most is the letter to the Galatians. Uh, And if you want to turn there, you can in your Bibles. You have them in front of you, brought them with you on electronic devices, however, but we're going to look at Galatians 5 in particular. This is a letter where Paul is probably most passionately angry as he writes. I believe the letter starts very quickly with, who has bewitched you? Uh, Usually Paul kind of does this long introduction to his letters where he thanks God for the people and he remembers them and all this. But in Galatians, he just dives straight in. What is wrong with you? Who has bewitched you? Well, we're going to go all the way to chapter 5. And an issue in chapters 4 and 5 are freedom and one thing in particular. Because, of course, Paul is always writing to real people in real circumstances with real problems. And in this case, they have a problem with the Jewish rite of circumcision, right? This procedure for males was a a bodily marker of being part of the people of God all the way back since Abraham. It was key to being included in God's people. However, uh, as Paul wrestled with uh, what it meant to be free in Christ and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, uh, he, he was himself a devout student of Jewish law. He knew it well. He 
Paul had come to realize that in Christ, there were no longer markers, as he says in Galatians, between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. In Christ, all come together into the same family without distinction. He says one doesn't need to belong to a special group or ethnicity or something like that in order to belong to the family of God. So for Paul, this marker of circumcision had become sort of a distinction between ethnicities or between groups. And he said, you don't need that to belong to God's family. All are welcome without distinction or hierarchy. So he's taught this gospel of freedom and embrace. But apparently, some, some agitators, as often happened in, in Paul's churches that he leaves behind, some agitators had stirred up trouble amongst these relatively young believers in Galatia by, by selling them the idea that they could secure a sort of better spiritual status by adding on this particular religious thing. I mean, if you want to be, you can be a Christian, but if you want to be a real Christian, you need to be circumcised, men. And, and just a few other things. If they would just add these to the gospel, then they could be real spiritual Christians. So Paul is upset. And if we just want to kind of cut to the chase and figure out exactly how upset he is, we can jump to verse 12 of chapter 5 where he says this. I wish that the ones who are upsetting you and spreading this, this, uh, this falsehood to you would castrate themselves. So in other words, I mean, there's some humor, but some very serious nature of this too. Paul is saying, okay, if you want to go a little bit of the way, just go all the way. That's what he's saying. So he's, he's mad about this thing for some reason. Because for whatever reason, uh, Paul, as he experiences the gospel and freedom and looks at this church and thinks about what these people are telling them, you could be a little more spiritual if you just do this one thing. Paul is mad because for him, accepting this circumcision this extra thing outside of the grace of Jesus is just as bad as living fully in a life of sin, of chasing after the worldly systems of selfish indulgence that Paul also gets upset about. So you can chase after a life of sin and indulgence, or you can try and add extra religious stuff to be more spiritual, and for Paul, those are both make him mad. <clears throat> they both make him mad. They're both a distortion of the gospel. They're both dangerous. And so he comes in saying, don't do any of this. In fact, those people who are trying to make you do this, I wish they would just go the whole way. Instead, what he's saying is in verse 1. Here's where Paul, again, is coming back to this theme of freedom. Chapter 5, verse 1. Christ has set us free for freedom. So Paul cares about freedom, right? It's not that Christ has set us free for something else. He says Christ has set us free for freedom, to live in freedom. So these people, when they're grabbing on to something else, they are losing the freedom that Christ had freed them for. They're missing out on the life of freedom and joy that God had worked for them. So he says, therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. And in this case, he's talking about doing this extra thing to be more spiritual. He finishes this section with a very similar statement with a verse that's in your bulletin. Uh, verses 13 and 14. You were called to freedom, he says, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses 
but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right here in the midst of Paul railing against all of the things that are going wrong in Galatia, he manages to boil down the Christian life to a very simple statement, doesn't he? You are free, so love your neighbor as yourself, as Christ has loved you. The whole of the gospel for Paul boils down to this one very simple thing. In the freedom of Christ, love your neighbor as yourself and serve each other in love. It's very, very simple, isn't it? In fact, when I hear that and realize Paul is boiling down the whole gospel to this one thing, in the freedom of Christ, love your neighbor as yourself and serve each other with love, it actually, to me, sounds a little scandalously simple. It's too simple. And it makes me nervous, and I think it makes us nervous, right? For a couple of reasons. On the one hand, it makes us nervous because Paul seems to be saying, you're freed from all those rules and regulations and rituals and religious things that we so often think make up the Christian life. And that makes me quite nervous because when we tell people, you're free from the rules, our tendency is to put lots of little asterisks after it or buts, like you're free, but you know you have to still be careful with what you do, right? Because it makes us nervous. What will people do if they don't have very specific guidelines on, on how to live? Makes us re- nervous for that reason. But it also makes us nervous for, an, makes me nervous for another reason, I think. Because if it's simply... In the freedom of Christ, love your neighbor and serve each other in love. It's about loving people and doing good for people and and all that. Like, what makes Christianity so special? What makes the Christian life so special? If it's just about, can't other people, don't other people live a life in which they love people pretty well? And they do a lot of good in the world. Aren't there organizations all over the place who just go out and do good for people? What would make us different if that were what we were doing too? What makes us special and what makes us different? I want to suggest that what is key to this whole thing in just a few, four different ways is that what makes the Christian life Christian is that yes, we are called to love our neighbor and serve each other in love, But that first part matters just as much in the freedom of Christ. That freedom in Christ makes all the difference for the Christian life. I want to suggest four ways quickly. Here's the difference freedom makes for us as we love our neighbor as ourselves, serve each other in love, and live the kind of good life that Jesus calls us to live. First of all, when we live as free people in Christ, we are free from focusing on rules. Think about this for a minute. Do you ever find yourself when doing something good, if, it's, if you're doing it because there's a rule that says you are, have to do it, don't we have a tendency then to sort of focus more on the rule that says we need to be doing this than actually what we're doing? And so actually it's like reading a manual to get something done. You know, you're just checking the manual all the time and you're forgetting that actually what you're trying to do is build something. And if the manual says this, I just do it and you end up with something that looks rather silly because it's not right. 
we sometimes, if we're so focused on the rule, we forget that actually what matters is the need of the person that we're trying to address. And so if we're focused on rules, we just sort of do things focused on the rules and forget that actually what matters is the person that we're trying to serve and finding out what their needs are and hearing their story and doing what we can for them. But when Jesus frees us from all of that to live in service and love, we are freed from focusing on rules to be able to focus on the people who have needs and find out what they are and do what we can for them. Secondly, we are free from the tyranny of ideology. Do people care about ideology in our country lately, in politics and such? (laughs) When any issue comes up, what's the first thing people start to think? And all of us have been affected by this now. Is that a Republican idea or a Democrat idea? Is that capitalist or is it socialist? Is that liberal or is it conservative? Because I know where I want to be, and if that idea doesn't fit into one of those, then I don't want anything to do with it, right? And our politicians are paralyzed by this kind of thing. Each of us are paralyzed with this too often. When we as Christians go out and we see something good happening, and the first question that comes to mind is, is that a Christian organization? Is that a conservative organization? Is that promoting socialism? Or is that promoting a Republican party, right? We get caught up in this too, don't we, as Christians? But the gospel is trying to tell us, Paul is saying, you are free from all of that because the only thing that matters for you is living in Christ and what God has done for you in Christ. So love your neighbor and serve each other in love in freedom from the tyranny of ideology. Stop asking the questions about whether this is a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or conservative or any other label and just do what it takes to serve your neighbor and serve, love your neighbor and serve each other in love. And it may, make, may, may mean making alliances in surprising places, but it doesn't matter what their ideology is as long as neighbors are being served and people are being loved because we owe our allegiance to one and that is Christ so we are freed from the tyranny of ideology thirdly we are free from the need to be thanked (laughs) do any of you have that need to be thanked maybe from your spouses or the people around you we are freed from having our actions determined by what people will do in response to what we are they going to be grateful. Have you caught yourself saying or heard someone else say, I gave that person, uh, you know, a Big Mac. On the, I gave them $2 on the street and they didn't even say thank you. I didn't feel like they were grateful for it. I've said it. You feel it. You go on a mission trip and, and you've served and built a house for people and they didn't call you over to have the giant group picture and you, man, man, it would have been so nice if they threw a party for us because that would have felt good. Or if they joined our church after we served them. Or if they became Christians or something. But Jesus says, you're free from all that. Just go and love your neighbor, serve each other in love, and don't worry about what people do in response. You're freed from that. So go do it in the joy of doing it. And fourthly, finally, we are free from the elusive enough, also known as legalism. Because when we are focused so much on whether we have measured up to the standards of the law, we are always asking that question in the back of our minds, have I done enough? 
and that can be paralyzing. I had a, a class, my final class of my master's program was one in which uh, I was taking it online from a different school. The grading system was very different than I was used to. And all quarter, I was trying to figure out, have I done enough to get the grade I need to get out of this program and just go? And I couldn't figure it out. So I was working harder and harder and harder because I didn't know if I had done enough. And then I thought, well, you know what? Forget it. I don't even know. It's hard when you're always wondering if you've done enough. That's what legalism is, is trying to figure out, have I measured up to the standard to be good enough to pass the test to be included? And Jesus says, you're free from all that. Just go love your neighbor and serve each other in love. You're free in Jesus. The Christian freedom to go and do these things means we are free from focusing on rules so we can focus on our neighbor's actual needs. It means we're free from the tyranny of ideology so we can partner with anyone in service to our neighbors near and far. It means we're free from the need to be thanked so we can love without a catch. It means we're free from the enough of legalism so that we can love and serve in joy, which is what God intends for us. Becky and I were watching last week the uh, U.S. Women's Gymnastics Olympic Trials. You see this, the final, where they were going to pick the team. And it's amazing. It's fun. I love watching trials. I love watching gymnastics. And, and it's a good time, and you're very happy for those few women who make it and the men who make it. But <clears throat> I realize that these trials are called trials for a reason, right? There are multiple levels of meaning to that word. Yes, it is a trial like a jury to get into the Olympics, but it is a trial of magnitude for these young women, right? Uh, as you hear the stories, many of them are there because they are haunted by some kind of failure from four years ago, and they spent the last four years just trying to make up for that and, and get there. They're all uh, under the pressure of the judges watching every single little move. Uh, they're there are things that go wrong that I don't even see, but, oh, man, wow, I can't believe she did that. What? You know, she's on a little beam. <clears throat> Some are under the pressure of being the favorites, and if they don't make it, it's an absolute disaster. Um, th they're driven and motivated by all kinds of things. Some of these things propel them to great success, for sure. Uh, those of you who are competitive know that there is an advantage to that kind of stress. It, it makes them do great things. But you get the feeling that none of those motivators at the time of the trials is joy. Right? Joy is not one of the things that's with them in those Olympic trials, which is really rather tragic in the end, right? I mean, yes, it gets them to some of them to the Olympics and, and all of that, but, but to miss out on the joy. But contrast that <coughs> to what they usually do after the Olympics. Uh, when the Olympic athletes come home back to the United States and they have the exhibition with the gymnasts. Have you seen that before? Um, in 2008, it was called the Gymnastics Superstars Tour 2008, and one magazine subtitled it, A Celebration of Joy. I love that because that is exactly what it looks like after the trials and, and all the pressure is off. The athletes have chosen their own outfits. Some of them even street clothes. The guys are just like in jeans only. Uh, which is fine for them. Um, they've picked their favorite music uh, that they can do their routines to. Usually it's the popular, more popular current contemporary music. 
with no judges judging them like the Olympics, with no fate on the line, they are free to fly. And some of the most amazing things happen when you see them there in those exhibitions, the, uh, the celebration of joy. And I think that is the kind of Christian life that we are invited into, a life that can be much more like the celebration of joy because God has already won the victory and guaranteed all of us a place in the kingdom. We're in. We've made it already. There's no point system in all of that. So we don't have to worry about getting in, about performing perfectly, about satisfying a judge. Instead, we are freed to love and serve out of pure joy and freedom. So go in the freedom of Christ. The freedom of being accepted, loved, and forgiven by an infinitely gracious God. And in the joy of that freedom, live fully, love deeply, and serve passionately. And in doing so, you will find that you are really free.